Welcome to Learned in Go-Go, the podcast. This is Sydney A. I am your host and the author of Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Go-Go, How a Preacher's Daughter Pole Danced Her Way to Finding Her True Self. I am totally living out my pump up the volume fantasy. Instead of a shortwave radio, I'm using my podcast to talk hard. If you're not familiar with the reference, Pump Up the Volume is a movie that was released in 1990. The story follows Mark Hunter, who was played by Christian Slater. He's a high school student who leads a double life. By day, he's a shy and introverted student, but by night, he becomes the charismatic and rebellious pirate radio host known as Hard Harry. Using his alias, he discusses controversial topics and encourages his fellow students to question authority. The movie ends with several students and teachers hitting the airwaves and using their own pirate radio shows to spread awareness of topics that are important to them. Bonus, it has a really good soundtrack. But this is my pilot episode, so I'm either going to take off or crash and burn. I like to dive into things with both feet and know that I will either succeed or learn. Failure is not an option for me unless I quit. And I'm really excited to have a co-pilot on this journey. My producer, Frankie James, is here with me today. Hey, how are we? I'm the uh, I'm the producer. I'm Frankie James. I um I had you on my podcast, and I just have to say, I want to thank you for having me kind of go on this journey with you. I'm so excited for you. After that, our episode that we aired, I, I knew that you were going to do well in this. I was so happy that you were willing to take this on. And here it is. It's, it's the pilot episode. I mean, we're here. I mean, it, it, it's it's been it's been incredible already. I feel like just talking about it. And, and now we're here and we're recording. And it's going to be incredible content. Uh, the stories behind everything are going to have meaning and laughter and it's, it's going to be absolutely incredible absolutely incredible um thank you so much for having me be a part of this as your producer and from time to time on you know episodes i'll be chiming in and giving my take on on certain things but um but yeah this is this is going to be absolutely incredible um we're, we're ready for it um we're gonna keep going on and uh yeah, i just wanted to thank you and that way of course in future episodes uh you know when i appear I want you guys to know who I am. So that's why we're taking the time to explain and tell, hey, this is uh, this is producers, Frankie James. Um, so that way people aren't like, oh, who's this guy? I mean, like, we sure all Random the guy on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Who's who's this weirdo? But um, yeah, we're gonna keep transitioning and uh and I'm here if you need me. And thank you everybody too for uh supporting and following and get ready for a uh, incredible, incredible show. I really appreciate that you are here to help me with this and that you have faith in me because I am super excited for this podcast. So I wanted to start with a getting to know me episode for anybody out there who is not familiar with who I am. If you've read my book, some of this may sound familiar, but if you haven't, you can get a copy of everything I need to know I learned in GoGo at learnedingogo.com. So let's start at the beginning. Picture it. New Jersey. 1975. <laughs> My mother loves to tell this story. Um, 
even though I didn't overbake in her belly, she likes to tell people that I was in there primping because she was in labor for a long, long time with me. And unfortunately for her, she was the only woman in labor when the nursing students were doing their clinicals. So she got every student to poke her and prod her and do whatever they do when someone is in labor. So even if you've never been in labor, I'm sure you can understand how over it my mother was at this point. When I finally decided to make my presence known, it was to a standing ovation and thunderous applause. So perhaps my desire to be in the spotlight started from my very first moment on earth. <laughs> this, as the subtitle of my book states, I'm also a preacher's daughter. My dad has joked more than once that he became a preacher so he could talk for 20 to 30 minutes without being interrupted. I share the same frustration of fighting between being polite and having hurt feelings when I'm not able to share my thoughts because someone else is hoarding the conversation. So maybe that's why I started a podcast. I'm sure being cut off in conversations is common and not hereditary, but I wonder if storytelling is genetic or if I learned that by example also. My dad has stood in front of a congregation for years, sharing stories both personal and from the Bible. He's now retired on paper, but still stands in as a guest preacher as often as he can. I think his occupation and all that comes with it added to my desire to get attention. When your parents a minister, it's not uncommon for parishioners to think they should drop everything to attend to every real crisis, like a loved one in the hospital that needs a visit from the minister, or a perceived crisis, like Gladys was sitting in my pew again this week. So he used to have to leave us in the middle of things a lot to attend to the people in the church. Part of me wonders if priests have the right idea about not getting married because at least they don't have children that are left behind when they have church crises to take care of. I started recording my stories at a young age. I've kept a journal since probably third or fourth grade, and some of those stories are hilarious to my adult self. <laughs> I've always shared my life in story form instead of strictly reporting the facts. In the fifth grade, we were given essay prompts daily. Shout out to Mr. Hughes. They had subjects like what I would do on the moon or my life as a potato chip. I vividly remember my potato chip story because I had to be the chirp. If you've never heard of a chirp, that's the green potato chip that inevitably winds up in every bag and I have no idea why it's green, but it's special and different. So I had to be the chirp in my story. Most of my classmates dreaded those essays, but I enjoyed writing and being creative. I was a chronic note writer and passer in middle school and high school, a practice that wound up with me having an in-school suspension once. It wasn't really because I was caught passing the note, but because the note that I passed said that the teacher was a real bitch and needed to mind her own fucking business. And she's the one that caught me passing the note. So I got an in-school suspension for a couple of days. If you went to my middle school, you'll know what I mean by saying that room smelled like burnt soap. There's really no other way to describe it, but it was just nasty and I was stuck in there all day. But I spent my time in there writing poetry rather than doing my assignments. I also loved being in the church choir, the school chorus and the band, but participating in the plays and the musicals was always my favorite. I just loved being on stage and seeing everybody looking up, watching us telling our stories through other people's eyes. When I went to college in Kentucky, I auditioned for the play that that college had, but I don't remember the name of it. Probably because my audition landed me the part of the invisible mute girl. 
In other words, I didn't get a part. <laughs> I shared the story in my book about how I was able to use my storytelling to land my current job in more recent history. The year I auditioned in college was the only year that I attended college. So the resume I created this for this job was the first resume I had created in my entire life. I was 44 years old. But in case you weren't aware, titty bars don't require resumes. And after my stint working in gentlemen's clubs, I was a stay-at-home mom for years. So I really had no reason to ever make a resume. I had a lot of skills, both from being a stay-at-home mom and from managing the clubs and all, but I looked really, really bad on paper. So when I went to explain to the interviewer what I could bring to the table, I told some of my stories and explained why I was a good fit for the job, even if it didn't look so good on my resume. I guess it worked because four years and a promotion later, I'm still there. <laughs> Strangely, I am shy when talking to people I don't know in the real world. I did several rounds of EFT tapping before my phone interview for my job. If you don't know what that is, I highly recommend you look it up. It's a really interesting practice, and it helps to calm your nerves and center you. The, the difference between being on the phone or talking to people in person and doing things like live videos on social media that I do every morning or being on a stage is that there's a separation when you're behind a camera or, you know, a little bit further away from people. So it makes sense that I would find myself on a stage in various gentlemen's clubs. Any trepidation I felt would be overcome by the thrill of being in the lights. And there was that mental separation in that environment. I could tell stories, the most common being, hi, my name's Sydney. <laughs> then I could see where the night went from there. With this podcast, I can share even more of those stories. I've compiled them in journals that I kept during the years in the clubs and through reminiscing with the friends I met during that time. Many of my stories are in my book, Everything I Need to Know I Learned About Go-Go. I share the who, what, when, where, and why, and how I grew as a person because of it. The lessons that I learned can help anyone, even if you've never been in a jiggle joint. <laughs> With this podcast, I hope even more people can get to know and understand what it's like to work in a go-go bar. Since most people have formed their opinions of these places for movies, I'm moving on to my next weekly segment, which I like to call Stripper Cinema. Every week, I'll share a review of a movie that features strippers in some way and how closely that relates to my own experience. But first, a word from our sponsor. This segment is brought to you by Everything I Need to Know I Learned in GoGo, the book. To order a copy of the book, please visit learningogo.com. Thanks, Frankie. So today, we're going to sink our teeth into the bizarre and entertaining world of the 2008 film Zombie Strippers. I love this movie. Directed by Jay Lee, this horror comedy takes the undead genre to a whole new level, combining zombies with the tantalizing allure of a strip club. Their tagline cracks me up too. It's, they'll dance for a fee, but devour you for free. <laughs> Zombie Strippers presents a dystopian feature, feature, future, where a government experiment gone wrong leads to a zombie outbreak. The film was released in 2008, and the not-so-near future where the film takes place is roughly 2012. It opens with the screen of a news channel and the reporter stating, George W. Bush has won his fourth consecutive term as president, taking Florida, which, due to a glitch in the Jeb, <laughs> Jeb B. voting terminals, 
tallied one single vote for President Bush and Vice President Schwarzenegger. Bush's presidency was unanimously declared legally binding by the Supreme Court, as well as, quote, totally cool, by Supreme Justice Jenna Bush, who subsequently set in motion another Supreme kegger. Following the landslide victory, a constitutional amendment dissolving Congress, I'm sorry, a constitutional amendment banning public nudity was implemented. Shortly thereafter, President Bush dissolved Congress, claiming it was cramping his style. American troops continued to be strung thin due to the still raging wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Iran, Lebanon, Libya, Pakistan, Venezuela, France, Canada, and Alaska. A small team of Marines is deployed to destroy the zombies who have taken over the government lab. One of the soldiers is bitten and escapes to a secret underground strip club. At the same time, an evangelical Christian girl named Jessie has come in to become a dancer so she can raise the money for her Nana needs to pay for her colostomy. Jessie chickens out and runs into the dressing room. The club's star dancer, Kat, smiles and asks, couldn't do it, kid, huh? Kid, it takes more than desperation to get out there on that stage. You either got it or you don't, baby. Ian, who is the manager, comes in and tells Jessie to get back on stage or she's dead to him. Kat tells him she'll take her time and offers Jesse the following advice. You have to be a warrior, a soldier, fearless, uninhibited, a stripper with a take no prisoner's raw survival instinct. So please, for my sake, suck it up. She walks on the stage just as the soldier, who had fallen on the floor dead, comes back to life and attacks her. Kat dies, then comes back to life feeling more alive than ever with a hunger for flesh and dancing. The manager, Ian, and club owner Madame Blavatsky see how much money the customers are spending on zombie strippers, so they gleefully lock the customers turned zombies into the handy-dandy jail cell in the basement. Doesn't every strip club have one of those? They start raking in the money as more and more girls join Cat as zombies. The girls who remain human are being left behind or booed off stage, leaving them to decide if they want to become zombie strippers too. The plot is as absurd as it sounds, embracing its over-the-top nature with open arms. It's a satirical take on social norms, blending harder, harder, <laughs> blending horror and satire in a way that's both entertaining and thought-provoking. I think one of the best parts about this movie is that it stars Jenna Jameson as Kat, who's the lead stripper turned zombie, and Robert England, that's right, Freddy Krueger, as the club owner. The characters are intentionally exaggerated, contributing to the film's campy at atmosphere. So I'm going to give it points for humor. It successfully navigates the tricky balance between horror and comedy. The humor is dark and often relies on absurd situations, making it a perfect fit for fans of B-movie charm. From witty one-liners to slapstick moments, the film keeps the audience laughing while delivering its fair share of blood and guts. I'm giving it points for gore because if I watch a zombie movie, I want blood and guts. Considering the film's budget, the special effects team did an admirable job. Admirable job. The zombie makeup is sufficiently gruesome and the excessive gore adds to the film's overall charm. While not on par with the big budget productions, the effects in Zombie Stripper serve their purpose and contribute to the film's cold appeal. I'm also gonna mention there's a ridiculous scene that involves Kegels and billiard balls, and that's all I'm gonna say about that. I'm also getting points for Robert England and Jenna Jameson. Who better to star in a movie that's a mix of horror and sex? So my points off are for bad editing, 
Cat wears a different outfit when she's bit and then stands up and is like wearing something completely different when she goes on stage and she hasn't left the room. So I'm kind of confused about that, but it's okay. I'm also saying points off because Jessie had never danced before, but in her audition, she gets up there and does a spin and lowers herself gracefully to the stage. I'd like to point out that there's a chapter in my book where I talk about when I auditioned and my first times trying to spin around the pole. So definitely points off for anybody who could do it immediately because I don't think that's true. Um, and then there's a quote where one of the female soldiers who's dressed in a tank top and camos like you do when you're a Marine is trying to find this underground strip club and runs into a couple jacks outside that try to hit on her. And when they get turned down, they say, damn, that chick's as cold as the dead flesh of a stripping zombie. I don't think anybody would ever say that in a million trillion years. So points off for that. And the last thing is that nobody does any actual dancing until they're dead. So I would like to see a little bit more <laughs> dancing before they're zombies. But um, as far as zombie strippers relating to my own experience working in strip clubs, I'll say this. While there are definitely customers and fellow dancers who may have been described as zombies because of the drugs they had ingested, I was never bitten or turned into a zombie myself. The competition between the dancers and the stereotypes of each girl that were featured in the movie, the star of the club, the super smart one, the goth girl, the valley girl, we're over the top, but there is some truth to that. Most of the time when you get groups of people together, women especially, alliances are formed and rivalries created. I have no idea why, but that's the way it is from the school playground on up. Strip club bullies are real, as are the club favorites. While Kat in the movie had her own separate dressing room, most of the clubs in which I worked would have the quote unquote spot for the star girl. No one else was allowed to sit in that seat or use that spot. It wasn't enforced by the manager or anything, it was just known. The manager and owner in the movie were also over the top with glimpses of reality. It's the manager's job to wrangle the girls and get them on stage when they should be. I learned when I was a manager that it can sometimes be like herding cats, but I did my best. I never resorted to spraying the girls with Lysol the way that Ian did in the movie. I did love that the club owner was from the old country and bored the girls with stories from when she was a dancer. In old country, we strip for bread and borscht and vodka. In conclusion, Zombie Strippers is a wild and unapologetically campy ride that knows exactly what it is, an outrageous blend of horror, comedy, and satire. While not everyone's cup of tea, fans of unconventional cinema, B-movie enthusiasts, and anyone who likes boobs will find plenty to enjoy. And now, the wrap-up. In everything I need to know, I learned in GoGo. I share advice and tips on how to live a more positive life. In that spirit, I want to wrap up my weekly podcast with some steps you can take to improve the week ahead. We are now over three weeks into the new year, and I want you to take inventory of where you are as far as your goals are, or if you made them, resolutions. Have you already abandoned them? Are you kicking ass? If you're still trying to figure out what you want to accomplish, I have great news. There are still 341 days left in 2024. So take one small step this week in the direction of your success. Make a post about it and tag me at Sydney Author Page on Facebook or Sydney Author at Instagram and tell me what you are doing to move yourself closer to your goals this week so I can cheer you on. 
Also, if you have any ideas of topics that you would like me to cover in this podcast, or if you have your own stories about strip clubs, send them to me at sydney at with the subject podcast. And I'm going to pick random people to win a signed copy of my book. Until next time, remember to take the tough stuff head on. When you bury your head in the sand like an ostrich, you think you're hiding from the world, but everyone else just sees a big ass. Love ya.